Are experiments keeping you from teaching science at home? My friends, it should not be so. You can add in hands-on science to your homeschool. And in today's episode, we're going to chat about the first hurdle that might stand in your way of wanting to teach science, experiments. Hi, I'm Paige Hudson, and you're listening to the Tips for Homeschool Science Show, where we're breaking down the lofty concepts of science into building blocks you can use in your homeschool. Welcome to another conference session. Just like our other sessions, we'll be breaking this one into three easily digested chunks, which we'll share over the rest of the month. At the end of this month, we'll release a full video of the session. In addition to the individual episode posts, we'll have a home for all the session's materials at elementalscience.com slash blogs slash news slash science dash hurdles. That's elementalscience.com slash blogs with an S slash news with an S slash science dash hurdles also with an S. Well, with that housekeeping out of the way, let's join the I want to teach science, but these three hurdles are standing in my way session. Good morning. Welcome to the I want to teach science, but these three hurdles are standing in my way session. I want to let you all know that you are not alone in feeling like there are hurdles to jump over in your path to teaching science in your homeschool. Many homeschoolers struggle with the thought of having to teach science at home. After all, as homeschool moms, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. This doesn't mean we can't teach all the subjects to our students. It just means that we have to prepare better for some than we do for others. And the good news is that you all are taking a giant step towards being prepared to teach science to your students just by being here today. In this session, we're going to talk about the three most common hurdles I hear for teaching my favorite subject at home, experiments, experience, and equipment. My name is Paige Hudson, and I've authored more than 20 books to help homeschooling moms like you teach science in your homes. But more than that, I've been in the trenches of home education with you for more than 10 years. So let's talk about why you want to even teach science in the first place. Well, I'll tell you, the whole reason we teach science is because it's awesome. Well, maybe you don't feel that way. I love science, so of course, I think it's the best subject in the world and everybody should teach it, but there's more than just that. There are practical and there are ideological reasons for why we need to teach science to our students. So practically speaking, we need to teach science to our kids because they need it on their high school diploma. And if we teach science early and often, it's much easier for our students to grasp the basic concepts of science, and then they can focus on the more difficult ones when they get to those high school courses. So we want to introduce science early and often, whether that's through nature study or through formal study, as this will prepare them for those high school courses that we need to put on their diploma when they get there. And the another practical reason is because universities require it. So if your student is college bound, they're going to need to have these things on their transcript. So we're going to have to ha- teach science eventually, even if we want to avoid it for those elementary years and we want to, you know, stick our head in the sand we still are going to have to, our students are going to have to learn it for high school. So practically speaking, we need to teach science and it's good to build that foundation uh, from the early years on 
upward as it'll make it easier for us and our students uh, to learn about the subject. And then ideologically, why do we want to teach science? Well, science builds an awareness to the world around us so we can learn about the things, the plants and the animals that we see around us every day and the things, the phenomenons that we see happening around us every day can be explained through science. So we want to teach our students the whys behind what they see and science can give us those answers. Plus, science also trains our students' brains to think logically. Science helps our students to look at a problem step by step, which helps to train them to be um, more logical in the way they're approaching problems. So as homeschoolers, it's a privilege for us to share science. We get the chance to make science enjoyable and not intimidating. So if our experience with science was that it was awful, we get the chance to change that story and show that science is actually really exciting and enjoyable, and it's not intimidating. We also get to ignite a passion. So we get to create an interest in science within our students, and we may find that that we can ignite a passion for science or engineering or something uh, related to those fields within our students that we didn't know was there. And then we also get the freedom to use science to exercise their logical side. So we don't have to just have a logic subject or to use math to exercise logic, but that we get to use science as well. So let's talk about the number one struggle I hear or the number one hurdle to teaching science, and that's experiments. So I often hear people say that experiments are just plain frustrating, just like this toothpick structure that looks all crazy and weird. That's how it feels like to teach science to some people. It looks like a big, scary, messy subject. But when we break science down into three keys, it's really not as frustrating as you think. So experiments are often looked at as this frustrating part of science, and it's because they're often messy. Mixing glue and creating this slimy paste can be messy, but we all know that our kids love playing with a mess. And then another reason why people perceive experiments as frustrating is because they feel like they often don't work. This experiment pictured is the speed of light experiment, and it's a classic one for not working. Because you have to, there's several steps that you have to make sure you do. Is uh, when you put the chocolate bar in the microwave, you have to make sure you remove the, the plate, and you have to go slowly so that you can see these two spots where the waves go in and out. And it's a classic experiment that can be frustrating because it doesn't work the way it should. So why should you even bother with experiments if they're going to be messy and they're going to be frustrating and it's just going to be difficult? Do we even need to do experiments? Yes, we need to do experiments in our homeschool because experiments bring science to life. This is the hands-on aspect of science, and it's one of the three keys. So I like to say there are three keys to teaching science. You need to have some kind of hands-on, need to gather information from some source, and then you also need to keep a record. So experiments are that one of those main pegs that we need to have in our science plans. Why do we need to have them? Because they reinforce the concepts. So I can tell my student about copper plating. I can have them read about how the process works. And to be honest with you, if I do this with a uh, elementary student, most of the, the concepts are gonna go over their head. 
But if I take some pennies and a little bit of salt and put them in lemon juice and let it sit for a couple of hours, and then I take those pennies out and put in a nail, an iron nail, and let it sit for a couple hours, and then I pull it out, and all of a sudden that iron nail that I put in there is covered with copper for my pennies, it makes copper plating come alive. It reinforces the concept. Now I can go back and read about copper plating and my students have a visual representation of what that looks like. And it's much easier for them to understand that concept in science. So I like to say that experiments are the flesh of science. So that's that chance for us to see science in action. And I can explain density or I can see it. I can show my kids the different colored layers that have different concentrations of salt of salt, and how they will remain separate in a tube because of density. And it helps our students to see that science is more than facts and figures. They see science face to face. It's not just written words or formulas on a page, but it's actual things that happen around them. So experiments give us a chance to show our kids that science is more than facts. Now, with that said, all experiments are learning opportunities. So if your experiment goes well, fabulous. We've presented that scientific concept exactly the way it needs to be shown. If it doesn't go well, that's good too, because we can ask why. And this is where we're training our students to think logically through a problem. Okay, so don't be afraid of those experiment failures. We're going to talk a little bit more about what to do with them when it happens in a few minutes. But all experiments are learning opportunities. So every time you do a bit of hands-on science, your students are learning about the subject. So how often should you do experiments? About once a week. So about once a week during your school year, you should do some kind of uh, scientific demonstration. That's basically you are the one in charge of the science activity. You're demonstrating it for your children and they're watching. Those are great for the elementary years. Uh, or an experiment. That's actually where students have a question that they're trying through to answer through a scientific procedure. So typically your students are going to be the ones doing the experiments and you're going to be mentoring them through the process. And then you can also do nature studies. So nature study is a viable way of adding in hands-on science. So when we say experiments, I'm actually referring to hands-on science. So some way to present your students face-to-face -face with science uh, once a week, whether that's through demonstrations, experiments, or nature study. So I don't want to leave you all thinking that all hands-on science is messy and frustrating and it doesn't work, but you just have to grin and bear it and do it. There are some things that we can do to have success with our experiments, to have success with that hands-on aspect of science. So my first tip for that is to gather your materials ahead of time. Whether you do this at the beginning of the week on Sunday, I like to plan on Sunday evening. I just take my materials out, look everything over, make sure I have everything, and then make a list if I need it to go grocery shopping on Monday. That's just the routine we have. 
So some other routine might work better for you. You might uh, look over your materials or look over your program and grab the materials you'll need once a month. You might do that once a quarter, or you might purchase an experiment kit, a pre-made one that goes with the program you're using to make sure you have those materials on hand. My only caveat is if you uh, gather your materials uh, once a year or once a semester, just make sure each week that you have what you need. Uh, because sometimes little hands like to get into your science supply cabinet and take things out. And the second tip I have for you is to plan ahead. So when I say plan ahead, you need to either know what experiments you're going to be doing if you're writing your own plans, or you need to look ahead in the program that you have. Just read through uh, the procedure, the results, the explanation, so you have a bit of an idea of where you're going with the experiment for that week. Because when you know what you're doing ahead of time, you're more likely to be able to catch problems along the way. So plan ahead for your experiments. And then my third tip is to follow the directions. And this tip is often for me as well, because if you follow the directions the way I follow the recipe, <laughs> I like to add a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. And, you know, recipes are mere suggestions. And sometimes this leads to a culinary disaster, and sometimes it leads to me being a culinary genius. However, experiments are not that way. The experiment directions are time-tested. People have... Uh, gone through them multiple times. So we really need to follow it step by step and make sure that we're doing exactly what the experiment says, what the direction says. And then my fourth tip is to always discuss. So always discuss what you're seeing. Um, always discuss the results. Talk about it as you're going through. Don't just you know, add this, add that. Always be orally uh, narrating what you're doing. Now we're adding this. Now we're adding that. Uh, look what's happening. What do you see happening? Um, encouraging your children uh, to be involved in this discussion as you're doing the demonstration or the experiment, and then talking about it afterwards. So going back to that copper plating thing, you know, we're talking about when we take put the pennies in, now we're going to try to get some copper off this pennies and into this into the solution. And when we take the pennies out, we put the nail in, and we're going to watch what happens. And as we pull that nail out, then we're saying, "Look, we changed the color of the nail, and the change in this color um, is due to the fact that the copper that we took away from the pennies is now on that nail." So we're discussing it and asking our students, wow, how cool is that? What do you see? What happened to our nail? Uh, what happened to our pennies? You know, so we're always discussing as we're going through and then relating that, what we're seeing in our experiment to what we're learning from our reading. When we're reading the next day or so about copper plating, we can say to the students, do you remember what we saw yesterday? What did we see? And how does that relate to what we're reading today? Does that make sense? Good. Okay. So my favorite quote from Thomas Edison is, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. So look, if Thomas Edison found 10,000 ways that didn't work, it's okay if we have a few experiments in our homeschool that don't go exactly the way we plan. It happens to scientists all the time. And the wonderful thing about that is it can lead to new discoveries or it can help us to really begin uh, to think about the principles that, that we are seeing in the experiment or to really get to dial down and be more exact and more precise about uh, how we're doing things. 
when you have an experiment that doesn't go as planned, um, there's a couple of things that you can do. And it's what I call an AFER, an anatomy of a failed experiment roadmap. So the first thing you're going to do is reread the directions, because this tends to be the number one place where people get off, off track, is we rush through and we miss a step. I remember one time our daughter was doing a crystal experiment, crystal growth experiment, and the directions said to add a quarter cup of borax to one cup of warm water. Well, she saw the quarter and thought it's got to be a teaspoon. So she added a quarter teaspoon of borax to one cup of warm water. Well, what do you think happened? You're right. Absolutely nothing. There were no crystals grown. And that's because there wasn't enough borax in the solution. So when she reread the directions, she caught her mistake and we redid the experiment. Okay. If that doesn't uh, present where the problem is, then the next thing you're going to do is read the expected results and explanation. So you're going to read over what you should have seen and why you should have seen it. And then you ask yourself, did we follow all the directions in the right way? Did we have the right supplies? Uh, Were they expired or outdated? Uh, We tried to do the uh, yeast experiment where you blow up a balloon. So you put a little bit of yeast and sugar in the bottom of a water bottle, a plastic water bottle, add a little bit of warm water, and then you really quick put a balloon over the top. And as the yeast begin to ferment the sugar, it'll blow up the balloon because they produce carbon dioxide. Well, we did this experiment. I thought I'd show my daughter this fantastical, you know, show how I can blow up a balloon without even blowing air into it. Except for the fact that I neglected to note that my yeast was like 10 years old and it was completely dead. (laughs) It was expired. So guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. So we need to check are our supplies Uh, expired or outdated, because then they may not work in the experiment. And then you need to ask yourself, how did my results differ from what we saw? Are there any obvious reasons? Correct those things and then try again. And then discuss what you've seen discuss why you think it didn't work. Uh, These are great learning opportunities for your students. So don't fear failure because it's an opportunity for our students to learn. Um, Of course, we want our experiments to work as much as possible. And if you follow the four tips that I gave you, chances are they will. But when they fail, don't worry about it because it still can be rescued into a learning experience. Okay. So now that we've talked about that hurdle of experiments, we feel comfortable with uh, hands-on science, knowing that it's important to add in. We know that we can use demonstrations and nature study and experiments, and we have those four tips uh, of how we can succeed. So we're going to gather our materials. We're going to plan ahead. We're going to follow the directions. We're going to discuss. We're going to know that even if we fail, we'll still have a learning experience. So we're ready to leap over that hurdle of experiments. Well, I trust that you're now ready to jump over the hurdle of experiments as you add in a bit of hands-on science to your homeschooling plans. Next week, we'll listen into the second part of this session, where I share about getting over the hurdle of experience. If you hated science in school or feel like you don't know enough to teach a subject, you'll want to come back next week. We have added several more tips and tools for experiments to the page for this session, which you can find at elementalscience.com slash blogs slash podcasts slash 41. 
That's elementalscience.com slash blogs with an S slash podcast slash this episode's number, which is 41. If you still have questions, you can leave a comment over there. If you've enjoyed this peek into our conference vaults, would you take a moment to leave a review for the Tips for Homeschool Science show? These reviews and ratings help others know that this show is worth listening to. Plus, it helps determine where to rank this podcast. I would really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great week playing with science. This peek inside our conference vault has been sponsored by Elemental Science. At Elemental Science, our mission is to help educators just like you share the wonders of science with your students. Our lines of award-winning, easy-to-use programs have helped thousands with actually teaching science at home. Visit ElementalScience.com to see how we can give you the tools you need to leap over the three science hurdles and get to teaching science. (laughs) 